Let's remember that when God gave His Word to the people of Israel, He had redeemed them from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He announced Himself as Yahweh their God, and He gave them the Ten Commandments. I'm going to read just the Ninth Commandment today, which is Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Let's pray. Father, I ask that now that You would give us the truth, give us a heart to receive the truth, give us lips and tongues to speak the truth, and to do it from a heart of love. We ask that we would do this both personally and also as a society, that we'd be able to look into the hard truths that um, we are not truth-tellers often, and we do things with deceptive motives, and we need your help, and we need your spirit to create the fruit of repentance and the fruit of honesty on our lips and in our lives. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life forevermore. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, let me make this personal from the beginning. How many of you have told a lie in the past month? Raise your hand. Raise it high. Thanks for being honest, those of you that were. The rest of you, maybe you have some sort of shoulder injury today where you can't lift your arm very high, or you're the type of Christian who doesn't like to raise their hands in church. I don't know, but maybe by the end of the sermon, we will realize how deep this commandment hits our hearts, and that we regularly are people that deceive ourselves and people that need to be renewed in the truth. Again, raise your hand if you think that you're basically an honest person who does stand for the truth and want to stand for the truth. It's not a trick question. I want to be an honest person and stand for the truth, but I raise my hand that I'm a regular liar as well. So how can we say, I'm an honest person, I stand for the truth, and I regularly tell lies? Well, that's the confusion of our hearts, and hopefully the God's Word will help untangle that dilemma. Craig Harper, a behavioral scientist, says that the average person lies 114 times per day, every day of their life. So if you live to be 80, you're going to tell somewhere around 3.3 million lies over the course of your lifetime. Wow, I hear you saying. Can you believe that? Don't. Craig Harper made that statistic up. He was simply lying. See how easy it was for him to lie to us and that we believed it? But everything I'm going to say from this point forward is going to be true as far as I understand it to be. And... Let me say this, though. How hard would it be to accurately gather the data from people when you ask them the question, how often do you lie? I mean, do you expect them to be honest? Do you expect them to tell the truth about their lies? It's very tricky. Who wants to be called a liar? So, instead of being called a liar, what do we do? Do we say, okay, I'll start telling the truth now about my sinful life? No, we continue to tell more lies about it, usually. Lying about our lying. Now, an actual study by the University of Massachusetts did find that 60% of people lied at least one point during ordinary, everyday, 10-minute conversations, and that the average was people were lying two to three times during those 10-minute, ordinary conversations. Now, that is amazing and not hard to believe. Websites like politifact.com have been created to help us find the truth in our world or the truth in politics for this case. Their statement says, we research the statements of politicians and then we rate the accuracy on our truth-o-meter. True on the one side, mostly true, half true as you go down the middle, mostly false, false, or on the far end of the spectrum, pants on fire. Each year, PolitiFact also declares that one political statement wins the unwanted honor of lie of the year. And we'll find out later in 2016 what the lie is, but I would guess that one of the candidates could be, maybe in the top three list, what was just announced in the news this week. The FBI 
announced this week that it will not recommend that charges be brought against Hillary Clinton or her staff for using private email servers to send and receive government emails, though the FBI director said that Clinton and her staff were extremely careless in handling this very sensitive, highly classified information. Careless. How about breaking the law? How about lying to the U.S. Senate under oath? How about perjury or lying in a court of law? Hillary Clinton earlier claimed nothing I sent was marked classified or nothing I received was marked classified and that she had turned over everything to the State Department. The FBI discovered in its statement this week released saying several thousand work-related emails were not turned over to the State Department but were recovered by the FBI. And more than 2,000 of the emails Clinton turned over to the State Department contained classified information and some were indeed marked classified. Pants on fire, we say. We caught her. It feels good to be able to point out other people's sin and lies, right? Do you smell that? I smell smoke in this room. I smell lies that are in our own hearts and our own minds. I think that what we need to do more than just point the finger at other people is to look in the mirror of God's Word, the law of His Word is a mirror, and to see our own deceptive hearts and nature, and to see how we need to be renewed in God's truth. God revealed the Ten Commandments, like this Ninth Commandment, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. He did this so that He would not just tell us about what He expects of us, but He reveals something about Himself in the commandments, does He not? When He says, I want you to bear no false witness, but tell the truth in this world to your neighbor and in courts of law and that type of thing. He's saying, I'm a truth teller. I want you to reflect me. See, the law of God reveals who God is. It also reveals who we are. Because when we come and look at this law, like a mirror, we see that we've fallen short, that we do lie, that we have dishonest tendencies in our lives. The ninth commandment reveals much about our hearts. God says, control your tongue. Stop lying. And we say, okay, sure, I can stop anytime I want. Really? Well, test yourself on that. Would you be willing to stand up in front of the church or a courtroom or your parents or your husband or wife or be on national TV and confess all the lies you've ever told, even the really, really shameful ones? Would you be willing to say, I commit from this point forward never to tell another lie? It's impossible for us to imagine such a scenario because we're so deceived. We're so enwrapped in this culture of lying, even in what we would say in small ways, are acceptable. And, and the fact is that the Ninth Commandment isn't just about avoiding lies, but it's about speaking the truth nobly. Speaking the truth well, with good intentions, with good motives, with love in your heart. Not saying, oh, I can definitely point out your sin. It's a fact, and I'm going to tell the truth to you right to your face right now. That's breaking the commandment as well as we'll see. James chapter 3 says that our, our lying, which comes from our tongues... This tiny little muscle in our body, one of the smallest muscles we have, yet this little muscle of the tongue is so powerful, James chapter 3 says. It is given by God so that we might bless Him and praise His name and bless other people. But the tongue is also used sinfully to curse God and to curse other people made in His image, James tells us. God gave us our tongues to help and heal others, and we tear them down instead with our words. James says such a small part of the body does such great damage. He compares the tongue to two things. A small spark that can set a whole forest full of trees on fire. Your tongue can ruin your life by telling lies or someone else's. The tongue is also full of poison, James says, like venom of a snake that 
enters the human vein and heart and shuts down the respiratory system and the circulatory system. Lies are like poison that paralyze us in fear or in consequences when we're caught. No human being can tame the tongue, James tells us. We might say, I can stop lying, or I don't lie, but that's simply not true on either count. We can't simply just control our tongues because the Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. And it asks, who can even understand the heart in all of its deceptive ways? See, truthful, honest lips, and to keep this ninth commandment, requires more than just saying, okay, I'm going to commit now not to say lies anymore. But it requires a truthful heart because that's the root of the problem. Our hearts love the lie. If you want to say it simply, we love to make ourselves look better than we actually are. We love to say that we have done the right and good things when actually we've done the wrong and bad things and shady and shameful things. Truthful lips require a truthful heart. Truthful lips also require a truthful life. Do you really think that you can live a sinful life, breaking the commandments, living unrighteously, hurting other people, and then tell the truth? I mean, some psychopaths might be free to speak freely and truly about all the bad things they've done, but most of us, we sin so much in our lifestyle that we have to hide it and cover it in our lying style. We have to use our lips to cover the truth of what our lives have made a mess of. And so, what is our hope today for those of us that feel caught? Even maybe now you're feeling like, I can think of some lives I've told recently, some things I've still covered up, things that haven't come out in the light, things that when I hear a twig snap behind me, I'm turning around wondering who has seen me or caught me. And, and you're thinking, I feel like I'm trapped in this cocoon of lies, like a spider web. It's just bound me tight. I feel like the poison's injected into my heart. I don't know what to do. The good news is there's hope for you. Obviously, God is able to free us from these chains, this, this deceptive pattern that we're in. And Jesus is able to set us free, as we'll see. But there's hope for you. But you must start by raising your hand and saying, I am a liar. I do tell lies on a regular basis. You must start with humility and honesty if you're going to have the help and healing that you need. So let's keep it real and let's start with being honest about ourselves and just saying a couple things about how we lie to ourselves. Okay? The first way that we lie to ourselves is that we tell ourselves, well, it's just a little lie. We call it a fib or a little white lie for some reason. Or we say we're stretching the truth. But we say it's just a small thing. It really won't make a difference. Maybe it's not hurting anyone. It's just a little lie. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-6. through 6, John teaches us that God is light. And in Him, there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You know, it's possible to practice the truth and then to practice lying. How do you practice lying? Well, you just tell a little one. And then you do it again, and you do it again, and pretty soon you're pretty good at it. Pretty proficient. How do you practice the truth? Well, you just make a little decision. You decide that one time, you know what, I, I really want to just impress this person, or I really want to cheat in this way. And, and then instead of doing that, you, you take the small step of just saying, no, this time I will tell the truth. This time I will do it the honest, righteous way. And then you begin practicing that life over and over, walking in the light, living before the face of God who says there is no darkness in my presence and there's no darkness in my heart and I want no darkness, not even a hint of it, in yours, my people, as well. Amen? It's very easy to lie if we say it's just a little lie. 
But how many little lies do you like other people telling you? When my kids tell me little lies, I sure don't say, oh, that's fine. I, I don't mind if we cultivate a family where lots of little lies are told, as long as they're not big lies. When someone tells me a lie, even if it seems small to them, I feel betrayed. Like, you don't trust me, and now I can't trust you. It's breaking our relationship. It's breaking society when we act in these ways. And yet when we do it, it feels like it's fully justifiable. Like, I, there's a great reason why I lied to you. I've got a great excuse. But when someone else does it to us, it's inexcusable. It feels dirty. It feels wrong. The second lie that we tell ourselves is that I'll just lie this once. I have to, I have to get through this problem. Or I have to get over this hurdle. And so I'll tell this lie, and then I'll start living in the truth. If I can just get that job by lying on my resume or pass this test by cheating on it, I won't do it again. I've got to get this one done, though. Just do it once. The problem with that is that James says one spark from a deceitful tongue starts a whole forest ablaze. One little spark catches a leaf, and then a twig, and then a branch, and then a tree on fire, and pretty soon that lie is contagious. It's, it's almost impossible to say, I'll only lie once. Our record proves us wrong on that. The lie actually chemically, physically, psychologically, uh, physiologically spreads in your brain chemically. When you tell lies, your brain gets adept at it. It becomes good at it. When you have a small child whose brain is just developing, their lies are very simple and very easy to see. When my three-year-old come, came to me and said, with chocolate and crumbs smeared all over her face and dress, Daddy, I didn't eat the cookie, it's pretty obvious that she's telling a lie and she has no idea how easy it is to smell it out. But when a husband or a wife or an adult is covering their tracks really well and being really smart with their line because their brain is very developed and complex. It's very hard to uncover those tracks and tell, is this true or is this false? The brain is very amazing. It adapts to lying. It becomes good at lying. Very smart people have outsmarted other people by living very dishonest lives. See, the lie burrows into your brain and into your heart, and then it reproduces. It makes babies, like little bed bugs. And so let me ask you, how many bed bugs would you like me to introduce into your bed? Would you like one bed bug that will then reproduce? Would you say, I'll just let one bed bug in, you know, off my jacket from riding the bus or, you know, sitting next to someone who had it on their jacket? Would, would you want that at all? No. Lies get in there and they burrow and they reproduce and they infest your mind and your hearts. You can't just lie once. Another lie we tell ourselves, well, even if I lie, it's, it's okay. I'm still a good person. I lied, but I'm not a liar. I lied, but I'm still decent. I did it for a good reason, maybe. We, we might call it the fudge factor. You know, I just fudged a little bit. I mean, I love fudge. It's so delicious. Why do we call lying chocolate? You know, why? I just fudged. I just stretched it a little bit. I just added a little sugar coating on the outside so it would go down a little smoothly. We, we give ourselves permission to to sin, and then we still think of ourselves as good people. What's that all about? Well, I'll tell you, it's decept you're deceiving yourselves. It's, it's, it's lying to yourself. When you think, I can lie and still be a good person, that's simply a lie. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 44, the devil is a liar and the father of lies. If we sin, Jesus says, you are slaves to sin. If you lie, it proves that you are a slave to this pattern of lying. If you think that you're not a slave to lying, well then just stop doing it. Start telling the truth from your heart all the time and then you'll prove to yourself that maybe 
you've somehow survived this dilemma that the rest of us experience, that we are children of the lie and that we need to be set free. At Estruma Middle Magnet School in Baton Rouge, I had a friend named Katie Ellis. One day, Scott Roban, my friend, filled my head with hope and intrigue when he told me on the side, Katie likes you, Brad. I think you should ask her out to go with you. I don't know where we're going to go, but we're going to go somewhere. You should ask her out. So that night, I spent two hours staring at the phone and staring at my clock, laying in bed, my stomach doing somersaults. I had the jitters. Finally, I picked up the phone and called Katie, and I said, Katie, hey, this is Brad. I was just wondering if you'd want to go with me. I cut to the chase. She said, well, Brad, I just got out of another relationship here in the seventh grade, and I'm not ready for another one yet. I said, okay. I said, I understand. That's fine. I was like, well, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. Click. I don't think I threw up that night, but I really wanted to. Felt so bad. The next day at school, I try to avoid her, of course, at all costs. And Scott, my friend, called me on the phone later that afternoon when I got home and he said, Hey, how'd it go? Did you ask her? I said, Oh, yeah. I said, What'd she say? I said, She said, Yes. I said, Did you kiss her? I was like, Oh, yeah. I sure did. He said, Was it good? I was like, Yeah. And then I hear a voice on the phone. Hi, Brad, it's Katie. She was on the other line as well. I was like, hi, Katie. I, of course, I was just joking about all that. I was just joking, of course. Of course, that, you know, just being silly old me. So then, of course, I felt like a total idiot. And that was really my first time to ask a girl out. I mean, I totally struck out. And literally, I'm not joking, that it really messed me up for years. Like, I didn't ask a girl out for years after that because I just felt like a loser. Like, I told this lie, and could I say to myself, even if I lied, I'm still a good person? That was hard for me to convince myself that I was a good person after lying in this situation, because why did I lie? That's the first question you have to ask yourself when you think you're a good person. Well, why did I lie if I'm such a good person? Well, I lied in that sense because I was insecure and afraid of what people would think about me. And so, telling the lie simply reinforced the insecurity and said, Now they think you're an idiot. And they don't like you. And now you feel even more insecure. See, I'm not a better person when I lie. I'm actually a worse person for it. I feel worse about myself. I I couldn't say, no, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm cool with the ladies. I can just pick up where I left off and make a phone call tomorrow night. That wasn't how it happened. I I wrapped myself tighter and tighter in that spider web of deception. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that the more we sin, the more we lie, God gives us over to our sin, our darkened hearts, our darkened minds, and our deceit. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 11, God gives people over to their own delusion, their own deception. He says, hey, if you want to lie, just keep doing it more and more. You'll get trapped in that web. You're not going to become a better person for it. You're going to become more of a liar, more self-deceived. There's something called the Dishonesty Project. The Dishonesty Project was promoted by a Yale professor named Dan Ariely and a filmmaker, and they studied dishonesty, and they made a documentary about it. I haven't seen it, but I've read about it. And uh, the, the quote on the homepage says, Dishonesty. It's not about being bad. It's about being human. And that's what we want to tell ourselves. We can lie and still feel good about ourselves. We can lie and say, it's only human. We all do it. And if we all do it, it can't be that bad. But guess what? Saying it's not bad, it's only human, that's a lie too, according to the Bible. It's an attempt to 
excuse our lying and protect ourselves from being called a liar. And we say, I'm not a liar, I'm just a human. Sure, I'm a human who tells lies, but I'm not a liar. So we just keep lying to ourselves, thinking that that makes us okay. There's another form of lying that we start believing, and that's the lies that the world tells us. Marketing, uh, people in authority, the government, professors, even parents, people tell lies all the time. You hear them on the radio, TV, you read them in books, they're all over the internet, in videos, and songs, they're, they're all around us, because we're all doing it. We're all in this together. And so, he, what if I said to you, here's a book, um, here's a book, it was on the pulpit today, here's a book, not the Bible, of course, but here's a book. What if I gave you this book and said, this book is full of lies? There's really nothing very true in this, and even things that seem true are little, really like misrepresentations of the truth, and they're meant to steer you in the wrong direction. Would you say, thank you, I appreciate it, I'm going to read that. Thanks. No, just drop it in the trash can, right? What if I said, okay, look, I'm going to give you my headphones, and I want you to listen to this song. It's a great album. The first track is called um, Lies, and like you're a dupe and a dope. And then the, the whole album is called like um, Lying Liars. And everything that it's saying is a lie. And I want you just to listen to it every day. Just memorize those songs. Let them be in your hearts and in your mind. Would you say, great, that's what I want to do? Hopefully you'd say no. What do I say? Look, I want you to sign up for a college class where the professor is going to be pretty much speaking a lot of lies to you. He'll say some things that ring true, and there'll be some things that we all know, common sense, are true. But he's going to inject some things in there regularly that are based on foundational falsehoods. Like the very rock bottom is totally untrue, so nothing else that he says can really stand on that. Would you say, sign me up? Now, maybe if you want to debate him or learn the other side, the other argument, sure. But would you say, yes, that's who I want to influence me? But that's what we do when we listen to music and read books and listen to the authorities in our lives without being critical and discerning and testing everything with the truth of Scripture. Isaiah 5, verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe doesn't mean stop, like woe, horse. Woe means, uh-oh, judgment is coming for people that do this. The judgment of God is on those who switch the truth for lies and teach lies as if they're true. When our nation has told us, even in its founding documents, that true happiness comes from just having more stuff, having more money, and that true freedom is coming from gathering more things and hoarding as much as we can and not sharing with others, that will make you happy. That's a lie. When our nation has taught us really in a crash course over the past decade, but it really started long ago in the Garden of Eden and then through the sexual revolution of the 60s, but we've really had a crash course this past 10 years that if we can identify and express ourselves sexually however we please, it doesn't matter what you feel or what you do with other people, that's what will make you happy. That's a lie. When we're told that anyone who opposes mothers aborting their own unborn children in their wombs, that those people who oppose abortion are waging war on women... We of a nation have bought into a lie. Comedian Chelsea Handler proudly declared just a few weeks ago that she had two abortions when she was 16, and she said that that was a responsible decision. And she said that for the first time in her life, her parents acted like parents when they drove her to Planned Parenthood to have the abortion and pay for it. The first time her parents acted like parents was when they drove their daughter to kill her child. That's a lie. There's nothing parental about that. If that doesn't smell like a lie to you, then you need to get your nose checked. You need to get back into the Scriptures and read the truth once again. 
The Bible says we need to test everything. It's all around us, all these lies. We need to test them. They're in our hearts. They're in our minds. They're in our mouths. They're in our ears. Ephesians 5, verses 6 through 10 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So put the books down. Take the headphones off. Stop listening to the lies unless you're listening to expose them and help others to find the lies that are in there as well. Walk as children of the light. For fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Do you really think it's pleasing to the Lord if you say, hey, those lies don't affect me. I can keep listening to that music, watching those videos, reading those books. All I want, it doesn't affect me. That's a lie. You're already deceived if you think that. Try to begin walking in the light, practicing the truth, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. And in verse 15, look carefully how you walk. It might be wise just to stop the sermon here and say, just start meditating and thinking on your life and how you can more carefully walk in the truth. Not as unwise, but as wise, because the days are evil. Let's think briefly about some of the lies we tell ourselves. Some of them are very obvious. Like, yes, honey, I'm on my way home now. When the truth is, after a few more emails, I'll be there in 10, maybe 20 minutes. Okay. I'm guilty, all right? (laughs) Or, if you don't go to sleep, sweet pea, you won't have your birthday party tomorrow. Really? You're going to do that to your child? The truth is, are you kidding? The deposit on renting out Chuck E. Cheese is (laughs) non-refundable. We lie. We say, of course, this assignment is all my own work. The truth is, I have two sources for my bibliography, cut and paste. The lie, I didn't get your text. The truth, I ignored it. I deleted it. The lie, yeah, let's be in touch. Let's do lunch sometime. The truth, I'm too busy, and I don't see anything in this relationship for me. I tell my girls when they lie to me in little ways like this, it's like they're, they're closing their fists and hiding the truth from me. I say, the truth is here and you're hiding it. And what does a fist mean to me? It means you're, you don't love me. You're hostile towards me. You don't trust me. You want to hurt me in some way. It hurts me when you lie. But what does an open hand say that says, here's the truth. I'm vulnerable. I'm, I'm exposing myself to you. I trust you. I love you. I want to share with you. When we lie, it's like we're slamming the door and locking it on our friends and on our family. When we tell the truth, the the door opens. Dishonesty is left behind and an open relationship of love and trust and truth develops. See, we can speak the truth or we can lie to ourselves. We can lie to our friends. We can lie to our family. Here's one way that we can speak the truth in a dishonest way, though. Think about how Satan twisted the very word of God when he tempted Jesus in those three temptations in the desert. He took the scriptures... God's own word, and he twisted them and said, hey, you know, God said he'll protect you. Even the angels will catch you. So go ahead and jump off the temple. God said he'll feed you. So change these stones into bread. See, God will give you the desire of your heart. He'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you want. He he takes promises of God and twists them. He takes the very truth and he misaligns it. He spins it. He twists it and turns it and jabs it into Jesus. To hurt him. To get him to fall and falter. That's what the Pharisees did when they quoted Jesus' very own words in saying, this is why we should put this man on the cross. This is why we should condemn him because he committed blasphemy. He said that he's going to destroy the Jewish temple 
in three days raised up again. Now John's Gospel tells us, of course, that Jesus was talking about his own what? Body. I'm going to die, and then this temple of my body is going to be raised up in three days. But they use his very words to condemn and crucify him. The man who spoke no lies, only the truth. They use his truthful words to call him a liar and to do the most dishonest thing, to crucify him. Sometimes it's unloving to speak the truth because we're misusing the truth. We're using it like a dagger to jab in someone's heart. Think about how we might say to someone, okay, what I'm about to tell you is for your own good, but we know that it's going to destroy them. You should be suspicious when someone says, this is going to hurt you, but I need to tell you this. You don't, don't close your door completely, but just be suspicious because they might be saying it simply to hurt you. Or they might be simply saying it because they love you and they want to help you. But the question is, what's your own heart's motive? Are you using the truth to beat people over the head, to shame them, to silence them? Speak the truth lovingly or don't speak it at all in personal relationships. That's the point. Sometimes we think that it's loving to lie. We say something, you know, in a funny illustration, like if a man gets cornered by his woman and she says, do I look fat in this dress? And we all know that's an impossible question to answer because even if you say no and even if it's true that you're not looking fat, we, we still can't win that, that question. But what a more serious question. What if uh, there's a patient in the hospital who has cancer and it has spread irreversibly through their body and the doctor says, well, the loving thing to do would be to comfort them with words of hope and say to them, it's not that bad. We can take care of you. And they know that it's, it's ravaging their body, it's ravaging their body and they don't have long to live. That's a false hope. That's a lie. It's not loving. It's not loving to build someone's hope on a false world where sickness and death really never catch up with us and we really never go to the grave. That's not the world we live in. True love would speak the truth and say something like this. You have cancer. It's, it's not good. But you can have hope beyond the grave. Let me tell you about my Savior. Let me pray for you. Let me comfort you in your dying days. Honesty and true hope are built on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Even for the husband asked by his wife, how do I look in this dress? He should remind her of eternal things. I have never-ending love for you, sweetie, he should say. He should reassure her that she's the only woman who captures his heart. And that his greatest joy is being married to a person who he'll spend eternity with. And that her father is the king of heaven who's made her his princess, his daughter. And that he shares eternal life with her. And that he loves her and thinks that she's gorgeous and will never turn away from her. There's other lies we tell ourselves and we tell our society. That's lies about justice and racism, as we've seen this week. Part of being a truthful witness means to speak up and speak out for injustice. Speak up for justice. Speak out against injustice. Because silence in the face of injustice is simply a lie. If you don't say anything, you're simply just being dishonest. You're lying. If, if you haven't said anything untrue about justice, still saying nothing at all is untrue. This week the police have made national news again in the videos that we've seen again of shooting two men, one in my hometown of Baton Rouge, Alton Sterling, the other in St. Paul, Philando Castile. And obviously the calculated executions and murders of police officers in Dallas in response to that was unacceptable. It's evil just the same. 
We can't win like this. And, and, and so what we have to do is what we always do. We have to wait for the evidence to really come out. We can see the videos. We can see some things. We don't know everything. We have to wait for the evidence. We have to wait for the, the courts to decide. We have to wait for the trials for what we are told will be the whole truth, although we know that we're never sure what the whole truth is. But most of us have become tired of waiting. We become skeptical because we know that people have lied to us and that we lie to each other. We know our own hearts and we know the hearts of politicians and even judges. We know the hearts of police captains and those in unions. And we know the, the lives of people who have committed crimes and want to get away with those crimes. Police shootings, we know, have often resulted in acquittals, which means that the police get off without consequences. But just because, because a man's black, that does not mean he's guilty, right? Just because a man's black doesn't mean he's innocent either, though. We need truth. We need compassion. We need to recognize that the system is not fair. That race does have something to do with justice in our country, with police aggression and brutality. When President Obama remarked on the deaths of Sterling Castile, he quoted some statistics that are hard to dismiss. African Americans are 30% more likely than whites to be pulled over in a traffic stop. African Americans and Hispanics are three times more likely to be searched by the police. Last year, African Americans were shot by police at more than twice the rate of whites. And African Americans are arrested at twice the rate of whites. If you add it all up, the African American and Hispanic population, who make up only 30% of our population in America, make up more than half of the incarcerated population in our prisons. See, there's lies and dishonesty about race and justice in America. There's a story in the book of 1 Kings chapter 21. I hope that you will read it sometime today. 1 Kings 21, it's an interesting, riveting, terrible story of injustice in which a man named Naboth owns a vineyard. And he lives in northern Israel just outside the capital city where the king, King Ahab, has his palace. Ahab wants the vineyard of Naboth so that he can plant his own garden there. And so he approaches Naboth and says, Hey, buddy, I'll buy your vineyard for you from you or I'll give you another plot of land further away, but I want your vineyard. And Naboth says, I'm sorry, king, I can't give you my father's inheritance. This was my family's property. And in the Hebrew mind, in the Old Testament, family property was incredibly important because it was a gift of God given to the people in the promised land. So he says, I can't give up my family rights, my family inheritance. It'd be like giving up my child in one sense. So he says, I'm sorry, I can't give you the field. So Ahab goes home and sulks and he cries. And his wife, wicked Queen Jezebel, comes to him and says, why are you so sad? And he says, I want that field from Naboth. He won't give it to me. She says, I'll get you that vineyard. Just hold tight. She goes and writes a letter forging her husband's name, and she trumps up these false accusations against Naboth, saying, Naboth has committed a crime. He has cursed God and the king, and he must be stoned. So she calls together an assembly, and all the people in the town get together. They have a quick trial. They read the accusations. Two or three witnesses gather, because in those days, you couldn't just tell a lie on someone. You had to have two or three witnesses that backed it up. That's how serious it was to lie. Unfortunately, there was also a, a, a law that wasn't practice here in this story, but if you falsely accuse someone of a crime and you were caught telling a lie about them, you would have to pay the penalty for the crime you accused them of. So for instance, if you accuse Naboth of cursing the king and God and he really didn't, and you're found out to be a liar, then they would stone you instead. So they took Naboth, put him up, charged him, accused him, stoned him. He's gone. Naboth has this vineyard. King Ahab takes it seizes it, and the story goes on with very interesting twists and turns. You should read 1 Kings chapter 21 and 22 to see how God resolved that situation. His anger burned 
against the lies and the deception. But there's also grace and mercy in the story that's very surprising. And sometimes, to be honest, I wish God didn't show mercy to people like Ahab. But then I have to wish that he wouldn't show it to me or to you when we lie and do terrible things to hurt other people. So grateful that his law doesn't just come to us and say, look at your sin. Look at how deceptive your heart has been. Look at how you've lied so many times in so many ways and hurt so many people. But his word also comes to me and says, let me show you the truth that that will set you free. Let me show you the truth that you must preach to yourself to get out of this pattern and cycle of lying. Let me tell you again what John chapter 8 says. True freedom. People quote, the truth will set you free. They quote, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But they don't quote the whole phrase usually because they like to keep it in the generic. They like to keep it in the generic and think if you simply tell the truth and avoid telling lies, then you're a good person. And you've, you've rooted yourself in reality and now you're living a true life, a noble life. But the, the thing they've forgotten is what the, the verse says before the truth will set you free. Jesus said to the Jews in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, to the Jews who had believed him, He said this, if you abide in my word, that means make your home here in my word. Live in it, dwell in it, let it live in you. If you do that, then you are truly my disciples. You're truly walking in the truth. Then, all right, now we can get to it. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then he says, if the Son has set you free, and he's talking about sin in this context, if the Son has set you free from your sin, then you are free indeed. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, if you have an honest friend who's not a Christian, but they tell the truth more than you do, then that's enough. As long as they stick to the facts. I mean, they might be smarter than you, and they might be more honest than you, to be honest. And as long as they do that, then you can't say anything to them. You have to let them live thinking they're a good person, because they're pretty honest. I know, sure, they they tell lies too. But you can't go up to them and say, hey, you, you just told a lie, because you know that you're guilty of the same. You can't tell them, hey, you have a problem with God who is the truth and who sees all. He knows your heart. You have to be right. You you might feel like you can't say something to people who seem fairly honest. But the Bible says that unless the Son sets you free, you're not free indeed. That unless you're following this word and it's abiding in your life, then you truly are not free. It's going to take courage for us not only to tell the truth to ourselves, but to our neighbor. Part of telling the truth of the ninth commandment is that we must tell others the truth. We must witness to the truth. First, we must witness about our own faults and failures. We must tell people, hey, the pastor reminded me this week, or I was reading some scripture, and I was reminded of how dishonest I can be. I don't have it all together. I'm afraid. I'm insecure. I try to take shortcuts. The reason that we and our friends are often so miserable is at root because we don't worship God truly. We don't tell God honestly our sins. We don't confess to Him what we know to be true in our own hearts and what He already knows. And so witnessing to the truth means witnessing about our own sins and witnessing to our Savior who alone is the truth. Even the word martyr in the Christian vocabulary, you've heard of martyrs who go and die for their faith preaching the gospel. Well, guess what martyr means? It just simply means witness. And usually martyrs are not just killed for what they believe. It's usually what they say and how they live. It's to open your mouth and speak the truth. It's to live righteously in the truth. It's when you start to say and do the truth, you'll really lose friends. So what are you waiting for, right? Jesus says, if you want to follow me, people are going to hate you. But you will walk in the light, and I will set you free. 
and I will heal you of this disease of deception that you've been walking in. Oscar Wilde said, if you tell people lies, they will distrust you. If you tell the truth, people will dislike you. Well, I want people to trust me more than like me. I want to be right with God more than I want to be right in people's eyes. I hope that you will as well. Let's pray and ask God to make this true for us by His own power and His own Holy Spirit. Lord, we're about to receive the communion supper, the the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, the meal of thanksgiving where we can come with joy in our hearts and thank you for the grace for sinners like us that you've given freely in Christ. But to do that, to, to truly take the communion of Christ honestly, we must be able to speak the truth from our hearts first to you in confessing our sin and then we must be able to confess our sins to others. Perhaps we've lied to someone here in the church or someone outside. Perhaps we've not spoken the truth to someone that we needed to. Perhaps we've not raised our voice to speak against injustice. For all those things, just give us a moment, Lord, to honestly come before you and confess our sins and walk in the light once again.